Hey everybody, Jim Sammons here, Kayak Fishing Show Live, brought to you by Ballast Point Brewing Company. As always, today we're having a long fin lager, it's German style lager, brewed here in San Diego. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you're uh, having a good one. Uh, my wife and I actually went to Ballast Point Brewing Company in Little Italy uh, last week or earlier this week. I don't remember when it was. Uh, had a lot of beers, <laughs> but the food was amazing. So if you get a chance to go to one of their uh, restaurants, the food is fantastic. Um, Dave Thompson, uh, how you doing, man? I'm glad I actually got this comment because I just got a notification on my other screen that Facebook is having some issues with streaming. So it's good to see that some people are actually seeing us. So uh, glad to see that. So um, as a reminder, um, anybody uh, that is interested in the cyber fishing rod sensor, uh, again, if you punch in cyber gym on their website, you can get a 15% discount. So I'm curious if anybody has done that yet. Uh, it's a very, very cool uh, tool for tracking uh, all your casts, the fish you've caught, and not only what you've caught and where you've caught, but where you've cast and not caught. So it's kind of a a cool deal attracts everything about your day also ties in with the weather and everything like that um, and it's through the app on your phone so if you uh, want more information than that about this give me a shout and I'll be happy to answer it for you but it's a pretty cool device I've had a lot of fun with it so um, honestly I haven't been fishing at all uh, so not a heck of a lot to report I know um, there's been a few fish around like locally um, but not a lot uh, there was some good news today was posted that some Dorado were seen on a kelp paddy. Um, so that means the fish have finally started moving up here locally. They were not caught. The fish were not biting. But at least it's finally a sign that some fish have moved north for us. Um, Larry, how are you, man? Thanks for joining us. And Egowitz, <laughs> how are you in Spain? I just saw a, a video of Egowitz posted on his page. Uh, he was out there cruising around on his um, Jackson kayak. Uh, I'm not sure which boat he was in, honestly, but I think he had a Torquedo on the on the back, and he was scooting. Jeff, how are you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. Victor, first live chat with you. Well, Vic, uh, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. So um, today, I'm pretty stoked to have my good friend, my uh, partner in crime for, for many, many years. We spent a lot of time traveling together. He was my videographer for basically 12 years. Um, it wasn't until the last year that he stopped shooting for us because he's working more full-time with Jackson Kayak and working on some other personal projects. So my buddy, Will Richardson, I want to bring him up here. I'm probably going to have to change something because, yep, the background looks way too busy. So let's... Uh, <laughs> Get rid of that. This week on the Kayak Fishing Show with Jim Sammons, the background is too busy, and he's brought <laughs> Will on. <laughs> Will, how are you, man? I'm how doing great. I'm doing great, Jim. Uh, I'm drinking a uh, Black Oak Brewing Company Beat the Heat. We don't get Ballast Point here in Canada, so uh, I, I have to make do 
with other we can cheers cheers yeah <laughs> i have to make do with other local uh local beers nothing wrong with drinking local that's right um yeah it's been really great it's been a great uh been a really cool year since i left the kayak fishing show um a lot of crazy changes in in the world uh as you mentioned i now work uh full-time with jackson kayak um, and one of the reasons I made that switch was not to get away from you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was mainly so that I could. I could no, we, we'd spent a lot of time together. We started finishing each other's sentences. There was the question of who was going to get the kids and the divorce. Yeah. Um, no, it came down to uh, I really wanted to be able to do some personal projects as well as uh, expand my horizons when you've been doing the same thing, um, following and watching another person fish for 12 years seems amazing until you actually have to do it <laughs> i could there's no way i could do it there's no way i could sit there and i mean that, that was always the good ones when we had trips that were such good fishing that you got to fish because mm -hmm. those times when you were just sitting in the boat and we're just struggling and you're about heat stroking out and <laughs> yeah and you just you don't get to move you don't get to do anything the best ones for me actually were the one or two times that you guys struggled for fish and it was so boring that i threw a lure over the side and caught fish those i don't i don't remember that that only happened a couple times <laughs> wahoo <laughs> wahoo cobia um. yeah no big deal um I'd say uh, we got Emma. How are you, Emma? Good to see you on here. How, how are things in Sweden? Um, Robert Baker, how you doing in Florida, man? Uh, yeah, Robert Baker and those guys are all at the FLW right now, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah, I think. Well, I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure Robert's there. Um, no, maybe it's not Robert Baker. Maybe it's Robert Brown. Too many Roberts, man. Well, he says, he says hello from Tallahassee, Florida, so oh, okay. I, I don't know where that I don't know. Bass either. stuff happens. There's bass stuff. Bass. Hey, Edgar, how you doing? Eric, what's happening? So, um, again, you you just got back. You're probably just uh, getting over jet lag. I mm -hmm. mean, that is a long, long trip. Yeah. Um, it, yep. It's. Uh, I think my last my flight home was about 36 hours from start to finish, and that doesn't include the nine hour drive. Um, I think. Well, it was more like seven hour drive. Um, from uh, the Masai Mara to where we were getting, uh, where we float, float in Nairobi. It, well, yeah, it was a long way home. <laughs> oh, Jim froze up. Did I freeze up or did Jim freeze up? Uh oh. Anything like for a second. There, we're back. Yeah, we're back. We're back. <laughs> so, like I said, I got a notice that Facebook was having a few issues today, so um, that might have been a hiccup there. But anyway, like I was saying, is I remember how bad driving in Africa was when we were there yeah. in Uganda. So, yeah, um, and, and so this is an interesting thing. So maybe the audience doesn't know this, um, but Jim and I went to Uganda. This is my fourth time to Africa, and I absolutely adore Africa. I'll make any excuse to go, to, particularly to Western Africa. Um, Jim's first experience was Uganda, which is a very different country than Kenya. Um, they are not as environmentally, um, and tourist focused as, uh, as Kenya is. 
So to, to sort of speak to this a bit, Jim, because I know your Uganda experience was not the, the you know, the greatest in the world, um, but Kenya's Kenya's a bit different. Kenya's a lot more lush um, and just an incredible amount of wildlife. And would you say environmentally wise, it's kind of similar to what you would say Panama, Panama versus Costa Rica? How, uh, I mean, Panama is still awesome, but I mean, Costa Rica is is embraced ecotourism so much where Panama basically it just relies on all of its money through the canal. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, I'm not it, gonna environmentally is, is second. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna I mean the numbers, I'm not an expert on the numbers, but I believe I was told that uh it, it, tourism in Kenya is their third uh, largest industry. Um so there is a lot of time and effort being put to protecting um, to protecting wildlife. Unfortunately, um, the March of Progress in Africa, um, which is happening all over Africa, but um, the March of Progress is, is carrying forward. Um, the population is is still growing, and they are they still want you know they they want all the things that um, we've already done to places like Europe, where they they want power lines from to every village and all that type of stuff. Um, and that often causes conflict between the, the wildlife and, and the people. And that's really what, uh, what I was there to, to learn about. And it was, it was pretty amazing. Okay. So we kind of jumped the gun a little bit, a little bit, didn't really, because <laughs> we just started chatting. So yep. first off, let's talk about the companies that kind of pay the bill. So you work with Jackson kayak I do. Uh, now and just any anything interesting, anything cool going on with Jackson Kayak? Right uh, well, just... we just finished up iCast, and iCast, of course, is the biggest time of year for us to release our new boats. Um, James comes on your show pretty regularly. I'm sure he's spoken about the the two new boats that we're coming out with now. Um, at this very second, we're working on a boat called the UPIC and the Kilroy HD. Um, the Kilroys are one of our biggest sellers. It's 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 a super awesome boat um and it's our it's a sit inside kayak which has a place in the market um as you know for sit on top fishing kayaks really or sorry sit on top fishing kayaks really rule when it comes to kayak fishing um but there are still a lot of people that love their sit insides and and it applies to a few different markets um the hunting market really loves sit insides um, and, and the Kilroy has really been a, an awesome part of that for us as well as the fact that it is and, and I can totally attest to this. It's one of our fastest boats in the fleet. Getting rid of scupper holes and all that type of stuff speeds a boat up. Um, not great for the ocean um, because you have to launch in surf and surf coming into a sit inside kayak with a hole that big. In it. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we have lakes here uh, that are no water contact. Yeah. So you can use uh, a, a wreck boat like that, a sit inside where you cannot use a scuppered boat. Yep. So it definitely has its place for, for that. And yep. I said the flat water, freshwater, I, I mean, I've paddled the Kilroys and, and they do paddle really, really well. Yeah, they're super maneuverable, super fast. So um, the HD was something that we've been working on for a while. We knew that we wanted to do an HD. We knew it was um, something that everybody wanted. And what we really focused on this season, and I'm not a designer, um, I'm on the marketing side of things. So, you know, when I say we, I, I really had like zero to do with it. But the guys this year in the design area really wanted to focus on making our boats um, super kittable. So super um, adaptable and able to do a lot of different things and really all about um, you being able to, going back to really the roots of kayak fishing, which as you and I know when we started was more about 
the fun of coming up with doodads to rig out your own boat. Back when you started, there was no such thing as as you know rod holders that you could buy at the store that were built for kayaks. Right. Um, and I mean, you developed some of the first ones that were on the market. Um, and that's really what we want to go back to. Now that there is all these different accessories you can add, let's make boats that are just ready for it. So that's what the Kilroy HD focuses on. If when you uh, when it does hit the market, you can check it out. Some of the stuff we posted for iCast. Um, it's got a big front area for that has um, strap down spots, um, big big large track areas to add uh, to add gear track uh, to add all your accessories from Ram and Yak Attack. Um, and the same thing goes for the UPIC. Um, the, uh, I'm sure you've heard the story before. People ask us what UPIC means. It's uh, it's the name of the tribe of Inuit that developed the first kayaks and are known as the first kayak anglers. Um, and the goal with the UPIC was to make a super adaptable, um, a super a boat that could be anything. You know, something from a touring boat to a fishing boat to a hunting boat uh, to a wreck boat. That's what that 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 kayak is designed for. And uh, yeah, that should be hitting the market pretty soon. And then last but not least, uh, you're a big fan of Blue Sky. Um, with the the new Bass Angler 360, which is yeah. pretty wild. I'm mean, yeah, you've seen, little, it. You've uh, seen uh, it firsthand. I did the, the plastic uh, plastic glitter boat. Um, no pedal drive. I mean, it, it's basically it's made for a trolling motor yep. only, and it, it's. I mean, I could see putting a a torpedo on the back of that thing, or the Minkota or whatever up on the front, and probably both and you know your dual uh power poles i mean it's 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 pretty well ready and i must admit i mean i thought it was kind of weird at first but then it's like you look at that without eliminating the power drive or the pedal drive all, all of a sudden you have that open 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 deck there yeah. it, it, it's it's a pretty amazing boat so and, and uh, that's really so that's ej's baby uh he really wanted i mean he loves the blue sky but he really wanted an flw like he wanted a bass boat, uh, you know, he wanted a, a blue sky that was a bass boat. So kayak meets bass boat. And that's really where that's going. So that's the really exciting stuff that's going on. A um, couple of small announcements. Uh, we had, we, we, uh, we just released the, the new bite seat. Um, it's for the 2020 bite, but we have made it available for those people that have the 2019 bite. Um, that was yesterday. Um, that's pretty exciting stuff. Um, and right now the whole team is at the FLW right now. Um, we got, I mean, everybody's there really um, at the at the big um, uh, FLW uh, hooked up with Kayak Bassin this year or the KBF, um, right. and and uh, so that's, I mean, it, the future is crazy right now for kayak fishing, and and I'm I'm super stoked to be part of it, and super stoked to be part of Jackson. To be absolutely honest, it's been a cool year for me. Yeah, yeah, they're doing so much, and it's it's. Is that the, the bass fishing that whole tournament thing is just really really blown up and and props to chad for uh you know really what he's done and and you know, wish him well of course he got in a really bad car accident yeah. a week or so ago and uh luckily they were okay so uh anyway we got a couple people saying hi uh kayak panda saying hola chicos <laughs> what's up kayak panda hola kayak panda uh jeremy thanks for joining us as always uh serge Hello from Ottawa. That's where I am right now. It doesn't look like it looks like I'm from Sweden right now, but yeah, that's right. <laughs> Jean, how are you? She's another Jackson kayak team Jean, member. Uh, and, uh, Jean, Jean, the bass fishing machine, also known as by far the friendliest person in kayak fishing right now. Um, Jean is wonderful. Hi, Jean. Um, 
Yeah. And then we have. Uh, oh, you're a scupper hole. Oh, who's that guy? I don't even know that guy. Uh, he's probably looking through your window behind you. He's right like, now. how come I'm not on the show? <laughs> uh, Gene Wilson talking about the rigging, hence my PVC creations that rarely work. Yeah, you know what? There's been a lot of great stuff, and there's a lot of stuff I see people make, and I just like, huh? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> well, it's but, amazing. Hey, you know, they make it. They make it work, and it's, it's very cool. They spend more time making stuff than they were to ever spend just going out and buying something. But there are some very creative people out there that, that do stuff to make it work for them. So one, uh, of the things, one of the things I do for Jackson is I also, I, anytime you're talking to somebody on the social media channel, it's generally me or Emily. And one of the things that I think is really interesting is the amount of people um, that call us with ideas every day. And it's, you know, like people are still adapting and coming up with new ways to do things. And honestly, I know they all want us to do it, and make them the perfect thing that they want. But, oh, there's just some cool stuff that people are making. And it's like, more power to you, man. Like, we'll yeah. make the kayaks. You make the stuff, you know? Uh, Dave Thompson, are those new kayaks available now? Uh, uh, not soon. Yet. Very soon, yeah. Soon, we're, not yet. Yeah, we're ahead of, uh, as far as I understand it, the, the development of those kayaks is ahead of schedule for the first, like, we're do we you know we've done a, the team this year did an amazing job at getting getting the you know getting the nitty gritty done early and I think those will be available very soon. They're they're definitely they're on the docket for 2020, but I I don't think it'll be long. I think after PSR or Paddle Sports Retailer or something like that, you'll probably start hearing about them. Uh, our buddy Craig Miller, what's up, Craig? How are you, Craig? My my Padres beat your uh, Rockies very easily last night because your Rockies made about 50 errors. So uh, uh, Craig, Craig and I drank too much together once after, after he spent <laughs> far too long um, toying with a black Marlin that did not know he was there. Um, Gene Wilson says, hi, and thanks guys. So, okay. Now we, I think we've paid, we've paid the bills. Uh, we've talked about uh, Jackson kayak. The reason I really wanted to bring you on here was to talk about your latest trip, your latest adventure uh to africa mm -hmm. uh you were there to make a documentary but i, I really want to just leave it to you to tell exactly what you were doing because I, I i don't know all i know is i enjoyed a lot of great pictures while you were on the trip well i mean so um about seven years ago i'm going to say seven or eight years ago i was uh contacted by a group called Artists for Conservation. Artists for Conservation is a uh, group of artists from around the world um, who are mainly wildlife artists who have decided to take some of their time and effort every year to make sure that they protect the wildlife, that they uh, paint, sculpt, um, photograph, uh, video, that type of thing. Um, they wanted to, so it, it's run by uh, Jeff Whiting and his wife Yaz. Um, Jeff Whiting is the brother of Ken Whiting, who was our producer on the kayak fishing show for years. So that's how that whole thing tied together. Um, and that was the first time I got to go to Africa to film their first documentary, um, which was on a place called Soy Sambu. Uh, we also visited the Mountain Gorillas and worked with the Mountain Gorilla Veterinary Project at that time, which is another really cool story. Those videos are up on YouTube if you check out AFC. They exist there. Um, and then so we went to this place called Soy Sambu. Uh, Soy Sambu is a conservancy, which is basically uh, 
publicly yet privately owned uh, land. I, I could get the guys to explain it a little bit better. I'm going to make mistakes and I'll apologize to anybody who's who I've worked with that when I get these little things wrong, like, like the name of animals. A conservancy basically, it, it was a privately owned plot of land, large cattle ranch, very large, um, that in order to protect it from, um, from basically being developed, they turned into a conservancy. The Conservancy is still a working cattle ranch. That's how they pay the bills. But um, they're trying to move over to uh, becoming more of a tourist attraction and make that pay the bills as well. Um, part of that is that they need to have wildlife that we want to see. Um, and when I was first there, uh, the main interest there is the Rothschild giraffe. And the Rothschild giraffe are pretty cool. They're um, endangered. And 100 or so of the last remaining 800 to 900 Rothschild giraffe are in Soy Sambu. Um, and it has this large lake called Lake Elementita. And it's a very, very, very important uh, part of the ecosystem, mainly for the... Um, flamingos that are the, the African flamingos. Um, so between those two things, I made the first documentary and I just fell in love with the place. Totally, totally fell in love with the place and did the first documentary. I remember and I remember being very emotionally overcome when I left Soy Sambu, which was an odd thing for me to feel. I mean, I love the places that we've traveled and I love the documentaries we've made, but I've never been emotionally affected by a place like I was Soy Sambu. Um, so I kept in contact with everybody that we worked with. Um, for the last seven or so years, I've made commercials for the AFC whenever they're doing their um, their shows. And I've kept in contact with Guy Combs, who was the artist that I worked with on the first project, who's the artist, and he, he's an artist for Artists for Conservation. Um, this year, they had a group of lions move into Soy Sambu. And the problem with having lions move into a conservancy, especially one that's a working cattle ranch, is that beef is delicious. And that's where, uh, and that's where it really this project came from. Do you have any questions at this point, Jim? <laughs> no. Well, my wife actually just came in here and told me that your mic is popping a little bit. Maybe okay. move it a little bit away from your chin a I'll little bit. It, I'll move it away from my chin. How's that? That's good. So I kind of got distracted because uh, of that. So I, I missed uh, a little bit of what you were saying. I did bring up the, uh, again, the Soy Sambu Conservancy's website. And so if anybody wants to fact check Will on anything he's saying, there is a history, who we are. There's there's an amazing amount of information on this um, website, as well as the all important uh, ways to some support the Soy Sambu Conservancy. Mm -hmm. um, I want to hear some stories because, I mean, like I said, you you shared some pictures and some video while you were on the trip. Mm -hmm. um, one of which was probably the most amazing, which um, when you guys were sitting out there and all of a sudden an elephant decided to invade your lunch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I... Well, the, the big thing is, is that uh, we went to um, do a, the, the gist of the project is that in order to protect the cattle that are on the ranch from the lions at night, in particular, they, the African, um, the Maasai 
people have used a thing for generations called BOMAs, which is basically they make a ring of uh, brambles and thorns, and then they put the cattle in that enclosure at night. Um, what Soy Sambu has done is kind of taken that one step further. They've created these metal structures um, that they can keep the cattle in at night. And it's basically a circular fence, a movable circular fence. And the cattle go in it at night and it's high enough that the lions can't just leap in. And um, it keeps the cattle very tight together so that when a lion attacks, the cattle don't freak out. Because the you know what happens is when a lion attacks, if you have too much room, the cattle get stirred up and they trample each other. So it does sort of a dual purpose. Um, so we went there to film that and to help them do the project. Uh, we were supported by a, a group called uh, Jackson African Safaris. Great name, by the way, Jackson African <laughs> Safaris. Um, do they, they have kayaks? <laughs> they should. Um, Tim and his team at Jackson, uh, Jackson African Safaris um, paid out of the, some of the revenue that they got for the safari to make the film. And that's, uh, that's how the film got made. So we went to Africa and we had, we spent a, a week at Soy Sambu filming for the documentary. And then we got to go on a safari and our first stop is a place called elephant bedroom. And I will see what I can do to bring up a photo of elephant bedroom as fast as I possibly can. Cause of course it's, it's about 300 photos in right now. Um, Elephant Bedroom is a really cool place. It's a, uh, you stay in tents, um, very luxury, <laughs> luxurious, amazing tents. Kind of glamping? Glam totally glamping. I mean, picture uh, like a Hemingway style desk. And so here we go. You can, you can bring up my screen now. Um, you stay in these amazing tents, but the cool thing is, is that it is, there's no fences. So the elephants just wander into your camp. And of course, when an elephant wanders into your camp, elephants are still wild creatures and they're, you know, they're like, they're big, anywhere, they're big and they're, <laughs> they're friendly, but not all the time, you know, um, they, they are subject to their own whims. And so when an elephant does wander into camp, um, you have to be, <laughs> there's guards there that make sure that you stay away from them. But yeah, they, I, I woke up one evening to an elephant scratching his butt on, <laughs> on my tent. <laughs> and like the whole tent is shaking. You're like, okay, so I'm an elephant butt scratching post now. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, that's really what going to a place like this is all about is these incredible wildlife encounters you couldn't have anywhere else in the world. I mean, Kenya is amazing for this. These wildlife encounters that... Um, you know, very safe, but at the same time, you know, you get extremely close to them and, and there is no real way to understand what wildlife interaction is like until you've, you've sort of done it one-on-one. -on -one. So our first stop was at Elephant Bedroom, which is in, uh, it's in the Maasai Mara. Um, you can see wow. how close I was able to get to elephants to photograph them. Um, so you can see every wrinkle. Um, and, and it is famous for its elephants, but it also does have lions. Um, the This is shooting from across the river. You can sit there and see the elephants come in for a drink while you're having your cocktails at the end of the evening. And um, yeah, it, all kinds of other things. I mean, ostriches and uh, prides of lions that you get to just kind of hang with. Um, again, oh, imagine, how, imagine how close we were to be able to get these photographs. Um, pretty, pretty stunning stuff. 
Um, and, and that's it. You know, we talk about uh, Africa and this is what we see, you know, the Lion King just came out and we, we in our minds when we think about Africa is this wild space that's still full of these animals. But the reality is, is most of these creatures are endangered and most of them are living in, in the last protected areas of Africa in places like Kenya and Rwanda uh, and, and, and South Africa and Tanzania. And those spaces are in demand. I mean, that, that land is constantly under pressure. And what we need to do as a society is we need to do whatever we can at this point to protect the, those final remaining lands. Because in all honesty, all of these creatures are in danger, not from disease, not some of it from hunting, but most of most the, the, the hardest thing that, that they face is just the loss of their habitat. Um, right. And it can be as simple as a highway running through the middle of the wildebeest migration. You do that and suddenly the wildebeest don't migrate. Um, when they don't migrate, you know, other things go hungry. Other thing, every time we take away some of this land, um, we're, we're, uh, we're just taking away habitat. And that, it's as simple as uh, when you look at the forests uh, across Africa, um, in the areas that I've been, um, and you've been too, Jim, um, people are still cooking with charcoal which means wood is still in high demand. Right. And that was, was I mean, when we were in Uganda, to, to me, just kind of like the deforestation was was so bad. Absolutely. Um, and the population density, mm -hmm. you know, there were just seemed like there were just so, so many people and those people got to go somewhere. And if they are cooking with wood, then they're just cutting everything down. Yeah. And, and that's it. And to them, I mean, you have to remember one of the things that we get in our heads as North Americans is that all these, their people are poor and they, they have nothing else and they must be miserable because they don't have all the stuff we do. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that Kenyans in particular are ridiculously happy people. They're super kind. And, and you know, they don't have the, uh, some of the people anyway, don't have the obsession that we do with stuff. But the difference is, is they also still live off the land. And unfortunately, as the population grows, living off the land means that the land is what's pressured, um, as opposed to, you know, we're a little bit better at figure, we, you know, not better, but we, we've figured out as our population grows how to um, cultivate and live off of other things other than directly living off of the wild uh, habitat around us. Um, and, and, and that's really what, projects like this are all about um, is creating and raising awareness. Is that a leopard? Yeah, uh, that is uh, that is a, dang it, I'm pretty sure that's a leopard. We're going to go with leopard. My eyes I are can right. never tell the difference between leopards and cheetahs. And I guy, think that's a leopard. That, the, the head shape looked different. <laughs> I, I may be wrong. Hey, well, maybe your, your buddy Timothy Jackson can uh, chime in here. He said, and I don't know what he Yeah, sorry, it's it. in Samburu and not the Masai Mara. Thank you, Tim. That's He that also had that. another comment. I wouldn't even know how to say that. <laughs> oh, yes. In Waha camp, it was the second place that we stayed. Um, and that's just outside of Soisambu. And when you're actually, it's in Soisambu. It's in the, it's, it's in a separate part of the conservancy. And then while you're there, um, you do most of your treks into Soisambu. Um, and here's the thing, you know, um, Africa is not as crazy and wild a place, in particular Kenya, as people would think. It's, it, you know, this adventure that I had is actually 
pretty comfortable. Like I lived like a king. I ate like a king. Um, the camp was amazing. I, I try to explain the interior of those cabins. I mean, they're beautiful. Uh, <laughs> you have you know, kind of like when Harry Potter, they set up a, a tent and you walk into the tent and it's like a castle inside. Totally. <laughs> totally. And you're eating. So you eat three course meals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner served by a chef. Um, you know, silver tray service when it comes to your cocktails every night. The beer there is amazing. The, the the cocktails are amazing. The people are amazing. They all speak at least three languages, including English. Um, some were speaking Spanish and Chinese on top of all of that. You got to understand that this is not a third world experience um, and you could have it too. And one of the things that I want to kind of promote today is that if you were watching my adventure or you're interested in doing something like this, um, AFC is running another safari next year, much like the one that we just did. Um, there, a guy uh, has a the guy who was the host on this one. I believe he has a show this year. So um they're going to bring in another host, another artist, who's Kenyan as well, so knows the area, knows, you know, can still do tell you everything about all the animals that you're seeing. But the cost on it is 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 around six thousand dollars. Tim can probably tell me the exact number um, that it costs, depending on for the for the safari that we did. And I mean, for hey, that, well, do you have a direct contact with with Tim there? If he's available, we could bring him on screen right now. Uh, I, I don't have right now. Um, but the the thing is, is that that is a highly, it's a highly accessible safari. And um, and you could be going too. And we're going to be running another one like it next year. Or you can just contact Tim at African, uh, African uh, Jackson African Safaris. And he can set you up with the same group that we went with, uh, Ibis Tours, who were our the people that were on the Kenyan side. And honestly, I and, you know, 10 other people that were on this trip have photos like these. And this adventure is is something that you could do too. And you're not gonna suffer. There's no, there's no like hot days suffering in the African sun. You're sitting in a in a really nice Land Rover or or a van uh, being escorted around, and it's winter, so the the weather was actually incredible, Jim. You would have you you would have been okay with the temperature. I think it wasn't uh, <laughs> blindingly hot and not yeah. freezing cold. It was like it was like being having nice free air conditioning the entire time we were there. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, jacksonafricansafaris.com. Um, let me see if I can share my screen again. I can bring this one up. So, so now, the, yeah, if so, if you want to go on a safari like this, and the cool part is, is that for this safari, um, if you go on the AFC one, part of the profits uh, that uh, they make for this is being given to um, build BOMAs, which is the coolest part about all this. So this particular trip, uh, Tim and the team um, from AFC and, and Jackson African Safaris were able to donate enough money to build two BOMAs. Um, and the BOMAs are working. This was the cool thing. When we arrived, we learned that um, before the BOMAs had begun being built, they were losing 30 cattle a month to predators. So that wow. uh, that includes hyenas and jackals and all that type of stuff. They were losing and and um, leopards. Um, they were losing thirty a month, and now they're down to three a month. Wow! Do you have any photos of them? 
Of uh, the Bomas, yeah. Let me bring up a photo. I will. Uh, I will pull one up. And Timothy says, Overland Comfort Trip was U.S. sixty six thousand three hundred with ten percent profits to artists for conservation. We raised six thousand eight hundred dollars. Yeah. Does that money go a long way there? Huge. So the cool thing about soy sambu is, and and this is one of those those topics that come up all the time when you're doing a trip like this, is um, you know, we talk about donating to an organization. Well, the organization at Soy Sambu is, you know, it's, I, I can't remember, but off the top of my head, it's a team of like 15, 20 people that run it. So there's none of, like very little of that money is being given to any type of administration costs. It is all going directly to things like the BOMA project. Um, and the BOMAs, you know, when they tell us how much they cost, they're like, oh, well, it costs us three thousand five hundred and four dollars you know to build a boma so they know exactly what that cost is including labor and that includes you know hiring local guys to build it and and yeah that money went directly to building two bomas and we were there to see those bomas um those bomas get erected which was i mean that's just something you don't you don't get to see every day you know and uh, how many how many cattle will go into a single boma you know? Well, I'm about to show you a picture of a boma. Okay. Well, so they one, pack them in there tight, don't they? Yeah. Oh, huge. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to count them, but it's it's a heck of a lot. So they need, I think they're at 30 bomas now. Um, they need 60 to do all of their cows, um, to, to keep all of their cattle in bomas. And, um, and, and Guy and his, and those guys, they do things called um, quick draws, which has been raised, has raised 99% of the money. And then this is a new project, this uh, safari project uh, with Timothy and those guys is that is the next step in that. Um, the way a BOMA works is if you take a look sort of down in the left-hand corner, you can see kind of a rundown area. What they do is they build the bone, so they the, the it's a movable fence. So they put that fence down, and then for about a month or two, um, the cows all go to that one. And then when it gets to a very certain point, they move the whole fenced area away. So you can see that they've shifted it. And the reason they do that is because uh, if you leave the cows in the same spot for too long, it destroys the ground. And right. once you've moved, if you move it at the right time, it instead um, basically fertilizes the ground. So, but it's a very specific time frame that they have to do that. And of course, the the the, the keepers know when that time is. Um, and yeah, so now they've got all those areas that you see that are brown there. Well, there are equal sized areas all around. I don't have a picture of that, unfortunately. Equal sized areas all around where it's just like super lush green space. Um, so it's kind of cool. It becomes a... Um, Kind of an environmental refresher too and yeah they they do pack them in it's a very different way of cattle ranching from what we do here in north america where we kind of like roam free cattle but you could do that there but you risk <laughs> losing right. hyenas well I, I can see your point i mean if a lion is trying to get at them and then all of a sudden they all start stampeding and trampling each other and you know animals getting injured that way this way they're so packed in there like sardines for the night that they just stand there they maybe get disturbed but they they can't move. Not do it how high is that fence uh it's over my head so it's around six feet and then they've got that with netting all around it so that you so that the lions can't see in and the elephant or the um the cattle can't see out and that's all part of that protection 
um, thing. They're talking about putting sirens on them as well as maybe electrifying some of them as well. Um, those are all sort of plans for the future. Other cool things that if you do don donate to Soy Sambu, we got to spend some time with the school kids that live there. They have three schools on Soy Sambu for the local kids. Um, they have a food a, a lunch program for the kids and that's in desperate need of more funding as well. So, uh, you know, the amount it costs to feed a, a kid at a school is minimal. And these kids, interestingly enough, one of the cool things that we learned is some of these kids are going off to Harvard and stuff like this afterwards. So, I mean, supporting a project like Soy Sambu is, is a, has a direct um, impact on the environment and a direct impact on people's lives in that area. Because you're not just giving money for for some water tap somewhere that you may never that may never get used. You're giving money so that um, people it, you're giving money for people to actually have jobs, which right. I, I always feel is is a lot more impactful. Um, what's the um, what's the poaching situation there? It's uh, it's as good as it can be. Um, so, uh, so Sambu is right beside one of the bigger national parks that still has rhinos in it. And the reason why it has rhinos is because uh, Guy's dad, Simon Coombs, who is a famous wildlife artist, was part of a group called the Rhino Rescue. And the Rhino Rescue brought uh, white rhino and black rhino into the park. Um, and that is fenced and it is protected, um, but those fences need maintenance and that's hard to do. Um, and you need to pay the, the, the groundskeeper or the, um, the, you know, the protectors of the rhinos um, and that's the rangers. And that's hard to, to do in, in, a, in a country like this. Um, you still have some corruption and that kind of thing. And unfortunately, um, every once in a while, there is a story of a, of a, of a rhino um, getting poached. It is a lot better. Um, so Sambu, uh, you know, everybody's got their poaching issues and that's happening in Africa. But um, Kenya is definitely one of the ones that are, have, are fighting the good fight. And uh, and they just burned millions of dollars worth of ivory um, that have been claimed from poachers. Uh, you know, they're they're doing uh, they're definitely at the front line of, of um, fixing the poaching. And the way you stop poachers is to create tourism. If right. you can keep people employed through animals then they, you know, that's, that's the way to stop them from killing the animals. Um, and well, and I, I think that, you know, like I said, I think Costa Rica is a, a prime example of that. I mean, they have embraced ecotourism so much mm -hmm. that the, um, everybody work, it seems like everybody there works in tourism. Yep. I mean, there's so many jobs in tourism there that, you know, they all value the animals they have mm -hmm. there instead of seeing them as, you know, as food, food or as a source of money. I mean, that's really the, the, the reason why the rhinos are in trouble is not for food. They're in trouble because of the value of their horns. But if you can, uh, if you can keep a person employed so that they don't see the horn, they, they see that rhino as infinitely more valuable over the course of 20 years, as we learned in Costa Rica, um, then they're less, they're going to protect their animals and education is part of that. So you have to take away the fear of the animals. Um, lions, people are, uh, you know, you're scared of bears, Jim. Yep. <laughs> and, I, and I'm scared of sharks. And, and a lot of that has to do with the difference of where we grew up. You grew up on the ocean. I grew up in Canada um, where we wrestle bears. Daily. <laughs> um, that is how, you know, when you turn 18, they put you in a pit with a bear. Um, but and there in Kenya, they, the, the people who haven't been around lions their entire life they fear lions that, you know, the, there's horror stories about lions killing people. 
Um, but if you can educate the kids to not fear lions or to be respectful of them, I shouldn't say they, they should still have a healthy respect for them and they should still fear them, but to see them not as an enemy, but as a, a valuable resource, that changes the that changes the dialogue, and that's really what we need to do. So, you know, in answer to your question, is poaching still happening? Yes, it's still happening, and it's happening for meat, and it's happening for money. But um, it is changing, and the way it's changing is is through education. Um, Gene, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a question and the yep. answer because because uh, Tim we, answered people, people. Well, no, just because people we do do the podcast. Mm -hmm. And so people will hear it. So Gene asks, how does the BOMA protect them from predators? It seems like they're sitting ducks. And Timothy actually answered it by the herdsmen are with the cattle during the day. The BOMA is fully covered with metal sheeting. So the lions have no access to the covers at night. Yeah, he's, so. he's, he's pretty close. It's also high enough that they can't jump in um, and they can't see in. Um, and those cattle are packed tight enough that even if they did find a way in um, and that metal, sh that, that sheeting that goes all the way around is, you know, designed specifically to not let lions, you know, uh, get their way in. It's way better than the wandering free where the lions can just chase them down. <laughs> Which is what lions do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they eat, they eat meat. You know why? Meat's <laughs> good because it's delicious. <laughs> and there's so the other thing about soy sambu is that they have uh, they have plentiful zebra. So the idea is is if you can make it difficult for the lions to get to the cattle, then they're going to go for easier prey. And it's it's you know it's the same thing uh, like with fishing. You're showing your lure. You want to look like a dead minnow or whatever. You're making it something an easy target versus the hard to get targets. They're going to go for the easy target, and that's part of how BOMAs work as well. Cool, cool. So aside from, from this, what was some of the other, what was like the, the coolest thing that you saw? Uh, I think spending, we spent about uh, quite a, quite a bit of time with two, um, you know, mid teen male lions sitting there gnawing on bones and they're just like and you could hear the bones cracking and i mean we're only like 20 feet away from them and you just see them and they're just looking at us like what you know and, they, and they're just i mean the flies because it's uh right right while we were there and i think it's still going on the wildebeest migration was going on and as the wildebeest come in they just bring in flies like it's like being at a at a cow farm you know just thousands of flies so these lions are just covered in blood and flies that, that was it was like that was <laughs> pretty amazing um i got to spend some time at the uh, giraffe sanctuary uh in in nairobi and uh, you feed the giraffes and if you put one of their little pellets in your mouth the giraffe will lick your face to get the pellet um so it's <laughs> like there's a giraffe right here going and that was pretty amazing um I, you know having that intimate experience with giraffe i got to touch a baby elephant like pet a baby elephant um Things like that, that, I mean, I, I have a million different moments. Uh, probably the coolest story I have is really our focus was to get video of lions because um, we needed as much as we could get um, for the documentary. To do that, I started really focusing on it with our guide, uh, uh, John, who is just really amazing uh, Kenyan guy guide he was the old salt you know he'd been doing it for a long time and he, he knew where everything was and he and i started working together to find birds which was exactly like 
you and I working together when we were fishing, Jim, it was like, Jim, birds over there. Cause I could see them from the support boat. And it was kind of like that. It's John birds over there. And we would look for vultures circling. Oh. And uh, we saw a bunch of vultures circling and we moved up to where the vultures were only to find like six big vultures sitting on the ground. Um, and they had just finished feeding and we could see what was left of a, of a gazelle, a Thompson gazelle on the ground. And then used that to start figuring out what had eaten it. And then slowly over the course of the next hour from the, tracking those birds, track down uh, a cheetah that had hidden, had been, had just bedded down. And the cheetah just had this massive distended belly because it had just finished like totally gorging itself. And it's just lying there with its belly hanging out. And it like couldn't even raise its head. It was like, <laughs> Like it just went right back to sleep. But that whole experience of like being on the African plains and, and using the animals, you know, the same way we would fishing to, to track this cat down was just, I mean, what a cool experience to have that. Right. Like, Oh, we found it and be the first one to spot it and all that kind of stuff. And, and you pretty much nailed off. I mean, I mean, you saw leopards, cheetahs, lions, and you said there were like four different, I, I had no idea that there were four different, was it four? Different uh, there's three different types of giraffes. So there's the reticulated okay. giraffe, the Maasai giraffe, and the Rothschild giraffe. And we saw all three of those. Um, there's a thing called the big five, which comes from the hunting days from the, you know, the original safaris. Um, and the big five are like, you need, you know, when you go to Kenya, you want to come back with photographs of the big five. Um, and that's Cape Buffalo, elephant, uh, rhino, uh, I think it's cheetah lion. I could be wrong on that. But anyways, we, and we saw the big five within the first like three days of the safari, which is amazing. Um, so yeah, we got to see rhinos super up close. We had a rhino come within a foot of our vehicle. Um, just tromping along. We got to spend probably about half an hour just watching a family of rhino feed, um, we saw Thompson gazelle, um, the other type of gazelle that I can't remember right now, Impala, uh, Oryx, uh, I mean, every hoofed creature you could possibly see in that area. We saw, um, Dick Dicks, I think by the end, you've been waiting all show to say, to that. say Dick Dick. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there was only one. And we saw uh, several different kinds of, kinds of monkeys. We saw baboons at the yin yang. Um, really, baboons are kind of a terrifying animal. Baboons are also apparently just like obnoxious, and you want nothing to do with that. Like, it's pretty funny because if you talk like a Kenyan talks about baboons, they're like damn bloody baboons, and of course <laughs> we're like, oh look a baboon. Oh, oh. You know, it's like they're like, oh god, get rid of the baboons. You know, um, yeah, we uh, literally. I, I, I knocked every, you know, major species that I've ever wanted to see in Africa off my list to the point that by the last day, you're like, wake me up if a lion is actually eating something, you know, like, <laughs> you're just like, oh, I'm so bored of zebras. Gene um, asked if you saw hippos. Yes, we saw tons of hippos. Um, yeah. Uh, and hippos are terrifying, too. Right. Very right. terrifying. So you like so i guess they're like the most killer creature in all of africa is the hippo um so yeah you you stay far away from them but i got some amazing shots most of the time you just see hippos wallowing around in the in the rivers and they're, they're amazingly fast 
Yes. And yeah, and, and, and I mean, you've probably seen that video of that one chasing down that boat. Yeah. I mean, it was going around for a long time, but it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, hippos are just crazy cool. Gene also asked, uh, are there any critical shots that you didn't get? Yeah, um, one of the big things, uh, of course, because we're restrained to cars, there's some a cool lion shot you can put up on the screen. Um, because we're restrained to cars, uh, you're often kind of restrained with the people that you're with, right? Um, we didn't get a shot of the wildebeest crossing a river, which um, was really why we were in um, the Mara at the end, um, was because it was in the migration. And we really wanted to get that moment where thousands of animals are crossing right, the river and right. crocs are coming up and eating them and lions are hunting off the side. But we sat and waited for about two hours for that migration to happen in front of us. Um, but just the amount, the volume of vehicles and uh, other people trying to see it uh, was really stopping the migration from happening. And so the, the, um, the, um, guards, um, asked everybody to pull way back. And, and so we left to go look at some lions that we'd heard about. And of course, apparently just as we left, not two things happened just as we left, a lion came out and attacked one of the wildebeests and nice. then, yeah, and apparently, so it's like we're getting that over the radio. It's like, oh my gosh, did you see that? And we're like, no. <laughs> and like, and so we came back, and apparently, when we left again, apparently that's when the migration happened. Uh, one of those mini migrations happened. So we missed, you know, there was just things like that that happened. Um, well, it's but, nature, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, we know that shooting shooting nature for the last twelve years. It's uh, it, it'll do a lot of things to screw with you especially when you're when you're specifically waiting for something amazing to happen um but that's, amazing. that's a cool show. oh look at that so but but i mean i'm not at all bummed about it it's we got to see so many cool things but that you know those attack we really really wanted to get a shot of a lion attacking um and unfortunately most of the time when we came upon lions they were happily napping on top of rocks like this and and you know they had already done their feeding. They do it in the middle of the night most of the time. And so you just have to kind of roll with the punches. Um, and we did. Um, I really have zero regrets. And I can't wait to go back because I still have a million things I want to do. Um, so uh, good news is, is that uh, out of this project, some other projects are coming to life. And we should have the documentary. Um, we're hoping to have... A trailer for the documentary sometime around September, and then um, early February next year is the goal for the the main documentary. And where would it be seen? It'll be on festival. It'll be on tour with uh, the AFC Festival, um, and we'll have it up uh, somewhere for people to view, like YouTube or Vimeo or one of those. Because because really the goal of this project is to raise awareness and to um, like we're not. It'd be great to get a distributor and have it go on Netflix and all that type of stuff. I'd love for that to happen. But our main goal is to get more people to go on safari, to go to Kenya, and to help out with things like the Boma Project, and to raise awareness of what's happening in in these areas that uh, that are you know they're they're the last places on earth that you can have experiences like this easily, like easily you can go do what I did, uh, bring a good camera. We there was a girl on the trip, a lady on the trip, um, uh, who's an amazing uh, amazing artist, Betsy Pop. And she had like a cool pics camera that she took photos with on this trip. 
And she got amazing photographs with like, you know, I'm sitting there with $10,000 worth of gear and there's Betsy beside me taking photos of the cool things <laughs> and getting amazing photographs. So, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take a, a, you don't have to be the best photographer in the world to come back with an experience of a lifetime like this. Well, thanks Jean Wilson for being here for this whole show. She says your love of that area just shines through Will. Yeah, it really it's does. You can tell me, uh, it's the beer. <laughs> Yeah, it does. And it looks absolutely amazing. It's so cool. You got, I mean, and your job wasn't there to get still shots. <laughs> I mean, and you got it, some amazing still shots. You got so many, uh, I mean, you were there to shoot video. I, I was also there to get a lot of assets for, um, for everybody. Um, I, I mean, I was there to do the job that I did with the kayak fishing show, which was come out with a, a, a huge amount of social media and marketing assets and uh that includes video and stills so i mean i i and i you know that's the i love taking photographs i loved making films but i mean if you can do both which you can nowadays with our cameras then then yeah do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure so uh for people again um i'll put this up one more time uh org, and that's the slash donate and all that but if you just go to the page I mean, there's tons of information about the area and then there is a donate page uh, for people who want to help out with that. Uh, I mean, it just seems like such a, a, a great adventure. Do you have plans? I mean, is there anything that you're looking at going back or? Yeah, um, I'm talking to uh, the uh, Cheetah Project right now about going back and filming some children's films um, for them. Um, they want some stuff to show in schools. Um, we're hoping that that project comes to light. That, of course, depends on some budgets and stuff like that. Um, we have a long road ahead to get this film edited. Um, there's a lot of content. I shot probably three times as much as I ever have for any project. Um, a lot of full cards. Yeah. So uh, that um, we just have to have that done. And then um, you have you have the Boma uh, arrow. So you brought your drone with you. Yeah. Um, well, and it, the nice thing was because Soy Sambu is a private conservancy and because we're friends with the people that because uh, Guy, who was our host on that trip, I mean, he and his uh, stepmother run uh, or do a lot of the, the foundation work. Um, and we're able to get permission to fly drones there. You can't fly drones in any of the national parks or anything along those lines, but we, we were allowed to do some um, as long as we weren't um, interfering with the animals in, in so Samba. So there's, yeah, there's going to be some incredible shots of things like flamingos taking off and, and bomas and oh, it's, I got drones of giraffes, you know, herds of giraffes running and stuff like that. Like you just can't, you can't, you can't buy an experience like that. Yeah, that's well. As a matter of fact, you can. Oh, you can. <laughs> they you can. do. They do safaris. Hey, you can go. <laughs> you, can go uh, you can go. Yeah, please, please. If you ever, it, people talk about wanting to go on a trip like this all the time. It is the trip of a lifetime. Um, and in the grand scheme of things, I know um, to some of us, six thousand bucks seems like a lot of money. Um, when some of that money is also going to a really great cause, that lessens that blow a little bit. And um, it's it's easy to get to Kenya. Nairobi Airport is uh, you know top of the line airport, um, and in all the countries that I've been in Africa, Kenya is by far one of the most beautiful, friendly, um, and you'll love it. Um, you feel safe? Absolutely, a hundred percent. I feel safer there than I do um in certain parts of the united states let's just <laughs> put it that way. yeah lately for sure yeah. um 
Yeah. It's a, but I mean, I, I remember when you went to on your uh, the jungle, that the gorilla part, there, mm-hmm. there were some sketchy times there. That was mainly because uh, because we ha- we were supposed to go into the, the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is a part of Africa that is uh, a little more dangerous. Um, really, you know, we have this strange, there's like a huge thunderstorm brewing over my head. Um, we have this strange thing in North America where we think of Africa as this deep, dark, place um i mean the first thing that you learn when you get to kenya is that the food is you know you don't have to worry about the food um the places that we were in even though we were taking malaria meds were not malaria zones um you know the people are just incredibly friendly um there's security everywhere because of the bombing that happened a few years ago so you do pass through a lot of security but that you know, that's one incident that happened three years ago and they took it super seriously. So you're, you know, anytime you're going into a large public space like a mall, um, you know, you're safe because there's, there's proper good security there. Um, And that's part of it. Like, and it's just such a, it's such a first class experience that it will blow your mind when you get there because your perception of what Africa is, is completely wrong. It's Africa, Kenya. I shouldn't speak for all of Africa because I don't know all of Africa, but Kenya in particular, um, and my understanding, uh, Tanzania as well. Um, just you know, they make sure that you are taken care of. And uh, man, I gained some weight. <laughs> I ate a lot of really delicious food. That's so, awesome. Uh, well, well, as always, these shows fly by. We are, we're actually over our one hour point. Uh, thanks for so much for, for coming on here and sharing the stories and the pictures and everything else. Um, I know that you, you post a lot up on uh, your Facebook stuff. Do you have, do you have a, uh, I mean, a, other than a, prof- a personal page, do you have a, a professional page? Will you be throwing? Well, the best place, to, the best place to see anything I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm my personal, st- uh, sorry, my professional stuff is mostly on Instagram, particularly my photo stuff. You can find me at, at the travel beard. Um, well cool and thank you jim for supporting this project and and for helping us get the word out um anything we can do to to let people know that this uh, stuff is available and that you can you can help out um it helps it helps everybody yeah it's awesome it looks like a really cool deal and and again i'll 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 toss it up there one more time there's the i can't even say sambuconservancy.org um it, it, like I said, it, it's a it's a big website there's a lot of great information on there with a donate page so if, you, if it's something you're interested in helping out with uh it, it certainly seems like something that's worthwhile well i'm gonna drop you out man bye everybody thanks very much thanks buddy well everybody thanks so much i know this wasn't a normal uh kayak fishing uh show but uh, i really wanted to share what uh my good friend will there had been up to remember the shows are brought to you by ballast point brewing company um if you are going out on the water remember please always wear your pft and keep your paddle right side up take care Oh, I'm going to fix it. Woo!